Awakened Reality Podcast, JFK Assassination. back to what's always a, a more rambunctious second the second hour we record for some reason seems to be more a little more interesting rambunctious off the wall i'm not exactly sure what leads to that as he takes a sip of his shed <laughs> ipa there <laughs> mountain ale yeah i gotta i gotta say i i had to go I had to go to the bathroom and take a leak. I really felt like it would have been more appropriate given that we're talking about LBJ if I had done it while we were recording <laughs> <laughs> and let everybody listen to it. I think that would have been more in, in keeping with the content. That would have been good. I spared your listeners. So why did Lyndon, so Lyndon Johnson... Lyndon anything that big? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious, Bill. They can't see that on the podcast. Gonna see, they can't see that on Spotify. So why so Lyndon Johnson is riding high. He's the Senate Majority Leader. He's offered the Vice Presidency, which is a nothing position, by uh, people that he doesn't like and that don't like him. Why did he um, take that? Why did he uh, accept that offer? Well, Claire Booth Luce, who I think was his. Um, I think was his like administrative assistant back then we would have called her a secretary. Um, She asked him that question and he said, Claire, I I do this with a Texan accent. I I used to have a good Texan accent, but I forgot it. Claire, I looked it up. One out of every four tech, four presidents has died in office. I'm a gambler man, darling. And this is the only chance I got. So that's what he thought. Of course, this pure conjecture and, 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 you know. She might have lied. She might have been telling, you know, not well, the truth. I mean, she was, she was dead in love with the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, she was given the Johnson treatment. <laughs> a slightly different treatment than his uh, fellow yes. politicians got. But you're, think... What you're implying there. <laughs> but but that's actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I want to hear what you say. I, I heard that his team actually did research on it on not not I didn't hear that about presidents dying, but on the probability of vice presidents ma- being elected presidents compared to um, Senate majority leaders. And he found that that vice presidents had a higher probability of making it to the presidency than Senate majority leaders just in history. I didn't hear that it was related to those to the number of presidents who died in office. Well, there you go, Corey. You're bringing information to us that we would not have had otherwise. Well, you're welcome. This As is... I said, I was at the beginning. I'm, I'm a top expert in this thing. We, <laughs> we brought you into this podcast for that fact, for yeah. for you to bring that yeah. fact to our attention. Yeah. So that's don't good. ask me to cite, cite any sources. I mean, it was the internet, so it, <laughs> they don't let you put it on the internet if it's not true. So I assume that it's pretty factual. What are what are sources? bosses that uh, (laughs) and uh he's gonna do a podcast with his buddies (laughs) uh so after the election johnson was um concerned i don't know why after the election he should have been concerned before the election but he was concerned about 
the fact that it's not a very important position. It's traditionally pretty ineffective. And, uh, and so he tried to kind of change the position so that he could have more power. He actually sought a transfer of the powers and the authority of the Senate majority leader to the vice presidency. He wanted to put through a bill through the Senate. I guess it would have to go through the Congress and then through the Senate that would um, give him the powers that are normally associated with the, um, with the Senate majority leaders, with the Senate majority leader. But um, I guess the Democratic caucus in the Senate said, uh, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Yeah. And um, so he failed at kind of retaining his power. So he, he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. He wanted to remain Senate Majority Leader in effect, but also have the title of Vice President, uh, but that didn't work. Um, then he, he tried to increase his influence within the executive branch. He drafted a document or an executive order for Kennedy to sign that would give him, quote, general supervision, supervision over matters of national security. And also it would require, according to this um, document, this document required that all government agencies would, quote, cooperate fully with the vice president in carrying out these assignments. So he brought this to Kennedy, probably hoping that Kennedy really, Kennedy really was just kind of a, you know, so, uh, uh, nobody who would just not think and sign it, but um, Kennedy said, yeah, no, I don't think so. And instead, he, he signed a non-binding letter that requested that Johnson simply review national security policies. So he didn't really get what he wanted there. Um, similarly, Kennedy turned down requests from Johnson to Johnson wanted to be given an office adjacent to the president's in the Oval Office. He wanted to employ a uh, vice presidential staff within the White House, and Kennedy turned down um, all of those requests. So Johnson was, his efforts were scuttled, to use a, uh, an SAT word. I think that's an SAT word. <laughs> do, do, um, do vice presidents now have a, have a staff in the White House? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. I, I know that there's space for the first lady to have a staff, but that's in the um, that's in the East Wing. Like, there's space in the East Wing for the first lady to have have some staff members. I, either that, or it's in the main house. Like, there's the White House has like a East Wing, which is literally separated by a tunnel, and then it's over there. Then there's the residential place, which also has like the ballrooms and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Then the West Wing has um, all of the offices that the the president and, and his or her, at some point, staff um, utilize. And, and I know that the First Lady has has offices for her staff, but, but they're not in the West Wing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I, I really don't know the answer to that. No, that's okay. Know. Literally, the closest reference I can think of that, that would provide me with this information is Veep. And I don't remember if if uh, Selena Kyle's offices in Veep were in the White House or where they were. I don't remember. Wow! Did you guys ever see that show? I've never seen it, but I oh, I kind of hilarious. It is so funny. It is, I, it is like 
I kind of want to see it just because of that guy that was on Arrested Development, who's on that show, who's just oh yeah, hilarious. he's great. He's he's great in that show. But I mean, but I mean, also, uh, what's her name? Julia Louis Dreyfus. She's she's amazing. Well, obviously, it's a it's a great show. It's a it's really funny. Mm-hmm. I used to watch it when I was, um, when I was traveling, and I would run on the treadmill, watching it. And I was once running on the treadmill, and I had my earbuds in like I do now, and the phone was up on the front of the treadmill, and I was running like this with my arms pumping, and I caught the the earbuds, and the phone fell off you know uh-huh. and i stood to the side of the treadmill because they've got like these runners on the side so i stood to one side and reached out and pick up the phone mm-hmm. and i had been jogging about eight miles an hour you know mm-hmm. and i thought i could just get back on the treadmill <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no. and so i just hopped back on the treadmill and started running <laughs> and i just wham fell right oh. down on my face slid off of the back of the treadmill onto the floor and like this this woman was like jogging next to me and she stopped her machine she's like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) everybody needs it was like it was like six o'clock in the morning so the game in the hotel is full of fucking people and they like all stopped and looked at me and i like stood up i'm like i'm fine got back on the treadmill finished my run it is like I've never heard of a vice president making so many efforts to expand the office of the vice presidency and expand the, the powers of that office. Well, on November 22nd, 1963, he made a pretty big effort. Oh, did he? Happened. Expand his... Uh, is that proven to the... Actually, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Yes, uh, I do not say anything yet. So Can this file is... another motion? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I second that emotion. <laughs> so this is fun. Um, Kennedy said no to all of those requests, but he did send um, Johnson to Africa to quote counter Soviet initiatives. Um, Johnson left a strong impression on everybody that he met in Senegal. Um, th- this doesn't really have anything to do with the assassination. I just thought it was colorful, and so I included it in the notes. Um, he insisted that a seven foot bed, a special sh- uh, shower head that emitted a needle point spray, um, dozens of cases of cutty sark, and boxes of ballpoint pens and cigarette lighters with LBJ inscribed, inscribed on them accompany him on this uh, trip. Um, against the advice of the ambassador, who told him that he should, you know, not get too close with the villagers um, because he thought that the, the ambassador thought that the, the villagers were dirty and diseased. Um, Johnson visited a fishing village, handed out pens and lighters, shook hands with everyone, including some um, lepers who didn't have fingers. And uh, he told the natives that they should be like Texans um, because Texans had learned how to increase their annual income tenfold in only 40 years. So that was Johnson out in Africa. But that's, a, that's an interesting story, though. Like I, the, the advice about increasing their income is a little bit tone deaf, maybe, because Texas is not Senegal. But, you know, to, for, to have him be so, like, um, not, like not caring that, that the – I mean, they were, they were black people, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they were Africans and, and of a much, much lower station in life than himself. 
mm-hmm. for a modern president or like a president in the 60s. I mean, this was this was before black people in America had the right to vote. Am I correct? Like for him um, to be sort of that. I think what? so. Black people. Had, well, they had the right to vote back in the 18, late 1800s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But quite, they quite were. Right. Not... But before the Civil Rights Act. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, it, that's it's kind of an impressive story about his character that he didn't care and he just he wanted to go out and connect with those people. You know, speaking of Africa, I, I had a um, when I was working at Dartmouth College as the uh, uh, was the office manager of the emergency preparedness department for uh, for Dartmouth. And they had uh, we had a guy who came in from the Congo who was a doctor from the Congo. Now, he, he came to Dartmouth to continue his education because in the Congo, you can get your uh, doctor you know, certificate or whatever, a lot easier than you can out here. So if he wanted to come here, he had to learn here. So he came and he was working with me in the office and I, and, and I got to talking to him and I was like, you know, hey, you know, so, you know, what, what was going on in Congo? I hear it's pretty horrible there. He says, well, yes, so sometimes it's very, you know, uh, and he goes, but, uh, you know, we, we, we had fun going to the market and, and we would buy things, you know, like monkey. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, that's, we ate that. We ate monkey. And I said, you didn't. They had monkey right there at the market? And he said, yes. And I said, oh. I said, well, my God, I, I never tried to eat monkey. I heard about people eating monkey brains. But he, I go, what does the monkey taste like? You know? And he goes, uh, human. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, oh, just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, you bastard. He probably had you for a second, do you? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so, uh, so we had mentioned that, so we had mentioned that the, uh, the members of the Kennedy White House were a little contemptuous of Johnson. I mean, that really was the entire, um, like everybody there. Like he was completely an outsider. Um, Congressman Tip O'Neill said that the Kennedy men, not just Kennedy, but the Kennedy men, had a, quote, disdain for Johnson that they didn't even try to hide. They actually took pride in snubbing him. Um, And Sam Houston Johnson, I didn't write down who he was, but um, he said that they, quote, made his stay in the vice presidency the most miserable three years of his life. He wasn't the number two man in the administration. He was the lowest man on the totem pole. He was, he was openly snubbed by second echelon White House sna- staffers who snickered at him behind his back and called him Uncle Cornpone. Uncle Cornpone. Yeah. And so he said that he knew him well enough to know that he felt humiliated time and time again. And uh, sometimes they were overt in their attacks on him. And remember, this is a guy who had been very powerful in Washington and kind of ruled the roost for a long time. But um, I guess after a, um, there, there were some civil rights unrest during the 60s, as we know. And after there were um, some police attacks on black demonstrators in Bir- Birmingham, Alabama, which had put civil rights in the headlines, which the Kennedys didn't like. They didn't like the civil rights being in the headlines. Um, Bobby Kennedy um, essentially balled out Johnson 
in front of the uh, CEO committee's uh, committee meeting. I need to look up what CEO stands for, but I assume it has something to do with, uh, um, with the civil rights. Um, but anyway, according to um, one observer, Bobby Kennedy um, treated Johnson, quote, in a most vicious manner. He'd ridicule <clears throat> him, imply that he was insincere, and just kind of tore him out. Um, Johnson himself said, I was humiliated. It was a pretty brutal performance, very sharp. And uh, so he kind of balled him out. And I guess there are also some stories that Kennedy did the same thing. You know, like if Johnson did something that he didn't like, he would take the opportunity to kind of just ball him out in front of everybody, just mm. tell him that he's garbage. And uh, sure, out there on the internet where. Um, they were at some sort of a rally or some sort of a motorcade. It's in some state or something where they were driving around. And uh, evidently someone had said something bad about, you know, president Kennedy and vice president Johnson was there mm -hmm. and Johnson decided he wanted to badmouth the guy, mm -hmm. you know, he was yelling and screaming at him. There's a picture. <laughs> it's the funniest picture. It tells a lot about the relationship between Jack Kennedy and LBJ, LBJ's like, ah, he's got this face on, like, you know, oh, I'm going to kill you. And, and Kennedy's got this look, like, behind him. He's reaching his hand out to kind of grab it. He's like, what are you doing? Look on his face. <laughs> uh -huh. Idiot, what are you thinking? Like, that kind of thing. It's like, I totally agree and believe that that's all true, that they just, he, they thought he was inept, and they had to watch him 24-7. Well, there were rumors in 1963 that Kennedy was going to drop Johnson from the ticket. It actually was a, a something that was discussed in the news at the time, in the papers. And uh, there, are, um, there are many accounts where people say that, that Kennedy told them that he was going to drop um, Johnson, but we don't know that for sure. Um, JFK's secretary from the time, Evelyn Lincoln, um, she said later on that Kennedy had told her, but well, why would he tell her? But whatever, that's what she said. She, she said that he said that he was going to drop Lyndon Johnson. Nixon himself um, said that Kennedy was going to drop Johnson. But Kennedy did tell reporters in early 1963 that he was going to be keeping LBJ as vice president next time through. So we don't really know, but... Yeah, yeah. We, I honestly, I don't know. I mean, from everything there, I read, there might there might not be a truth. I mean, he might have said both. He might have said all those all those things might have come out, you know, because he could have been in a decision making process and just letting shit come yeah. off the top. You know, people yeah. do that. Yeah, and part of the reason why it was a question was not just that he didn't like Johnson; it was because of some of the scandals that had arisen um, around LBJ, which is kind of what we're going to get to now. Um, so we're going to move on to the Bobby Baker case. Um, so um, Bobby Baker was secretary to the majority leader of the Senate. And he also, more importantly, was a longtime protege of Lyndon Johnson. I think he worked for Johnson before Johnson had, uh, um, I think he was maybe his secretary or the head of his office before Johnson moved into um, the, uh, the vice presidency. But this Bobby Baker um, came under investigation 
by the Senate Rules Committee for allegations of bribery and financial malfeasance. Um, witnesses alleged that Baker had arranged for, um, for kickbacks to the vice presidency, to Johnson, um, <laughs> as part of this whole scandal. So um, I think there's no, there's no controversy now that Bobby Baker was um, involved in bribery and corruption. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's really any corruption, any uh, controversy that Lyndon Johnson himself was getting bribes. I don't think that's really a, a, a contentious point. He got paid um, when he was in so. when he was in the Senate. Not like you know, we're not talking about when he was a, a vice president. But I think most people think it's it's pretty well. Um, determined that Johnson was on the take when he was in the Senate. Um, but this kind of came to a head through Bobby Baker because he, Bobby Baker was the one that was accused here, but his proximity to Lyndon Johnson was problematic for the, for the vice president. Um, so what happened was rather than meet with Senate leaders and um, provide kind of a defense Instead of doing that, Bobby Baker resigned as secretary for the majority and just kind of vacated the scene. And um, when the press asked LBJ about it, he just said no comment. He didn't want to say anything. Um, the Senate was nervous about it. Um, Lyndon Johnson, by all accounts, was worried about his political career. And... Um, and the Senate Rules Committee said that they were going to uh, investigate. And, uh, and uh, an interesting quote that Johnson had about this Bobby Baker was, quote, and this is on the record, Bobby is my strong right arm. He is the last person I see at night and the first person I see in the morning. So, uh -oh. <laughs> uh, so there was a little bit of proximity there, I guess. That, that's a little scary. I mean, you could take that out of context. I mean, you know, um, what was really going on? So when this happened, the Kennedys um, were interested in, in this kind of from two perspectives. One is um, they were probably just interested, like what's going to happen to Johnson, but also they were worried about their administration, you know, like, you know, how would this impact them? It probably impacted their thoughts about whether to include him on the ticket. Um, it was said that, um, well, Bobby Kennedy kind of kept close tabs on the, um, the probe from the Senate Rules Committee to try to see kind of what came up regarding wrongdoing by the vice um, president. And um, I think they, I think it may be that they, they, they almost wouldn't have minded if something had come up because I think they wanted to get rid of Johnson in 1964. They wanted to, to lose him from the ticket and they kind of thought, well, if, if this turns up something regarding um, Lyndon Johnson, then it'll give us an excuse. So I think they kind of, they were a little worried in terms of, you know, will it impact their prospects? But I think they weren't super worried. They mainly thought maybe this will give us an excuse to get rid of him. Or, or not even an excuse to get rid of him, you know, an excuse to, to pull a hoover on him by getting all the information and the evidence and then pulling a LBJ aside and saying, yeah, we've got this information here. You probably don't want us to let it out, 
so you might just want to resign the position. <laughs> yeah, maybe to... something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's, it's it's amazing to me how like it it's funny because we were so naive in a way, like the idea that bribery was something that was a bad thing in politics, you know, is so outdated. Like like they just it was it was like a criminal thing that people shouldn't be doing. And then, then like it's like Nixon and Watergate happened, and everybody got awakened to the fact that the government was corrupt. And so, what the government did was just take all that bribery and all that shit that used to be problematic for them, just make it all legit, just make it all in the up. <laughs> exactly the same thing is still happening. They mm -hmm. just made it all in the up and up. So now it's taken for granted. Like, like, like if that exact same story came out right now, nobody would blink. They'd just be like, "Of course." Yeah. Of course, he was being bribed. Like he's a politician, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's sad, a good it's point. sad to think like how jaded and, and how how much we've all come to accept as um, normal and acceptable mm -hmm. when people of our of our parents generation or my parents generation or their, or you know my grandparents generation would have thought it was just just totally totally unacceptable and incomprehensible and now it's like doesn't even make the news yeah no that's really true i mean i think the way back then johnson was you know there were bags of money that were dropped off in his office so yeah. so i mean it in the way that it was done was more overt but it's yeah. the same end result right yeah well they had to they had to do it like that because it wasn't all legit now they just made it all it's the exact same stuff they just made it now they mm -hmm. just wire, you know, money between bank accounts and it's completely tax deductible and <laughs> but it's the same Nobody result. Cares. Nobody's going to do anything, you know, except now it's not a scandal. Mm -hmm. no. So now yeah, we're going to get into Billy Soul Estes. Um, oh, oh, Billy. Yeah. So there's some interesting stuff here. So, uh, so the um, investigation continued and started kind of looking into Johnson a bit. And um, one of the things that they began to look at was um, a, one of his old Texas contacts, friends, associates, business associates, whatever. Um, a guy, uh, uh, somebody described as a bit time Texas wheeler dealer named Billy Soul Estes. There was a guy named Henry Marshall. Oh, he was, he was a department of, agri of agriculture official who was actually, he was looking into Billy Sol Estes at the time. He was looking into Estes' habit of acquiring millions of dollars in federal cotton allotment payments on land which was um, actually owned by the government. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of shady stuff that Billy Sol Estes was involved in. Um, but then Marshall started noticing that well, this Estes guy actually has a lot of connections with Lyndon Johnson as well. And so Marshall started investigating the two of them. And Bad then, idea. yeah, and then as happens again and again and again on this podcast, as soon as somebody starts looking into something, something bad happens to that person. Specifically, what happened to this person was right at this moment in 1963, when he was- in this investigation, this Henry Marshall was found dead 
in a remote section of his farm near Franklin, Texas. Now listen to this, Corey. I'm interested in, because Bill has heard <laughs> some stuff like this so many times. But listen to this. He had been shot five times in the abdomen, okay? Nearby lay a bolt-action 22 caliber rifle five days later without the benefit of an autopsy. A and, local, mm -hmm. Go ahead. A local peace no. justice ruled Marshall's death a suicide. also had a lot of what in his system, Steve? Carbon monoxide. He had 25% carbon monoxide in his body as well. Yeah, yeah. So what's interesting, what, what's interesting to me is that when people who are not, who don't have any connections to these government conspiracies commit suicide, mm -hmm. they generally do it with one shot to the head. Yeah. But when people who are connected <laughs> with these conspiracies kill themselves, they shoot themselves four or five times. Yeah, <laughs> they some just, of them shoot themselves five times. Yeah, he was yeah. shot in the abdomen. They said he committed oh, yeah. suicide. He shot himself. He was shot in the abdomen five times. And they said he, he committed suicide. Just five times more depressed than most suicidal people? Evidently. You know, it didn't hurt enough the first time or the second or the third. Or the it, it's only a 22. I mean, come on. No, but it does, it does sound a little bit suspicious, for sure. Just a Just a little bit. You know, wait, oh, wait, don't worry. As, as, as book writers would say, Read on. <laughs> Read on. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, but what gets me is they're like, the guy's shot five times in the gut. They don't do an autopsy. And then they say, they say, okay, well, this is a um, suicide. It's a high profile case because of who he is and what he had been investigating at the time. And nobody follows up and looks into it. To yeah. me, that's what I, I'm just like, I'm trying to understand that, wrap my head around that. Well, it makes it makes me wonder, like, who his family was and stuff, and and did he have any connections that would follow up and would make a stink, you know? Because then it it, go, it goes into what it it goes into kind of what you were saying earlier about how um, you were talking about the left and the right and, and their relation to, relationship to conspiracies. I think we might have actually been on break at the time, mm -hmm. but it's like as soon as you assume that something is being covered up, no matter how reasonable it is for you to assume that it's being covered up you can be labeled a conspiracy theorist, right? So if there's no family, if, if somebody just reads in a police blotter in wherever this was, this guy got found, oh, this guy was shot five times in the stomach and died with carbon monoxide in, in his system. Like, and somebody says, well, this guy was investigating this other thing. Like, maybe somebody killed him. Like, it's so easy to say to the person who asked that question, you're freaking crazy like you're on drugs like there's you're into conspiracy theories obviously that didn't happen because what do you think the government's covering it up hey 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 let me ask you guys a question just kind of a side question between either of you which which one knows the proper definition of conspiracy theory probably not me yeah i don't know why don't you tell us when more than one person collaborate together to commit a crime. Is that it? Is that all it is? That's it. Or is that a conspiracy? That's a conspiracy. Yeah. Now, well, it's a conspiracy. But a conspiracy theory is just a theory that there was a conspiracy. That there's a conspiracy going yeah, on. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, the thing is, right, 
the reason that conspiracy theory has 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 been associated with your a tinfoil hat wearing crazy backwards ass person is because that is what we have been trained to believe. Mm-hmm. Well, wasn't it J. Edgar Hoover who pushed who who tried to label? He tried to come up. Wasn't he involved in that? If I remember correctly. Well, think about it. I mean, you even got I, I even seen videos of, of of like a governor. I think it was in Virginia where there was an actual sighting. And look, you don't have to look too far to find actual sightings with different people in different areas of counties in, in different cities in the United States. But in Virginia, I believe it was a Virginia governor or, or something like that, where it was actual, like people said, oh my God, we saw this, like a whole community of people, right? So it started to get big on the media. Well, the governor said he was going to have a press conference the next day. And what do you think the governor does? Well, he's not going to take this for serious. <laughs> he starts the press conference. All of a sudden, the guy dressed in a in a in a in a alien suit goes <laughs> walking by. Him. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> really, really? Is this is this your response, governor? You know, to to this real thing that people saw? Of yeah. course, because it's supposed to be right. Yeah. You're not going to say, oh, my God, yes, you're right, right? You're not going to do that because right. then, you know, you'd never have a national inquirer. You'd never have a star. You'd never have, you know, these, these rag mags where half the shit in it is probably true. <laughs> but they make these things and they call people and they label the people these things because they want everybody else to think that any conspiracy theory, if it has the word conspiracy error or in it, means you're crazy. So this um, death, which seems to be at least a little suspicious, occurred. So the guy that he was investigating, Billy Solestes, what did he have to say about it? Well, in 1985, after he had been granted immunity from prosecution, he Mm -hmm. told Texas media that Johnson had ordered Marshall's death to prevent his connections with Estes from being exposed. Um, later that year, a, um, a Texas district judge changed the official verdict of Marshall's death from suicide to homicide. And um, there, are, there are actually like several other deaths connected with the Estes case uh-huh. that were um, unexplainable or unexplained and- at least. So we're not saying that we're sure that Johnson had him killed. We're just... We're, like, like we always say, we're presenting evidence. These are the things. Maybe Estes thought it was 23 years later. Maybe he wanted to be in the National Enquirer. Maybe he wanted to make a sensation, and that's why he said it. We don't know. Yeah. But we'll just say that, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's another bit of information that's out there. Take, take it the way you want to take it. So Bobby Kennedy, as I mentioned, he, act, he, he insisted on a um, thorough FBI investigation of the stories. But surprisingly, the FBI did not um, turn up anything. We might learn a little more about why when we talk about J. Edgar Hoover and his relationship with Lyndon Johnson. Um, And actually, many later historians, not even just conspiracy theorists, but historians have speculated that Hoover might have suppressed information that tied Johnson's to Johnson to Billy Sol Estes' crimes, not talking about the murder, but just the, the crimes that Billy Sol Estes was involved in. And um, they think that Hoover and Johnson might have arranged 
to have various incriminating files destroyed. Because the FBI, they were pretty competent under Hoover. Let's give Hoover credit. We're going to talk about Hoover, I guess, next next week. But Hoover was pretty competent. Um, and so if there was something about Johnson that was, you know, readily that was readily available, they would have found it and they didn't find it. So it either didn't exist or they covered it up, in my opinion. I mean, you don't, you don't stay as the director of the FBI for, oh, 40 years. Yeah. Without being able to uh, you know, kind of control situations that surround you. <laughs> yeah. When I say capable, they were capable at doing what they wanted to do. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't, they didn't do a very good job managing the mob because they didn't want to. Oh, well, it, it's been documented that Hoover didn't even acknowledge the fact that there was a mob. <laughs> so Johnson, yeah, right? He, is that it. right? I, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. we're going to talk about that in the next episode, but Hoover would not admit that the mob <laughs> existed. He denied it again and again and again until I think like, the late, late 1950s, like 1958, wow. 59. Yeah. Uh, because he was in bed with the mob, yeah. <laughs> frankly. Um, so Johnson, la Johnson, Johnson later said, <laughs> quote, the damn press always accused me of things I didn't do. They never once found out about the things I did do. Now, who knows what that, what he was talking about by that, what he meant by that, but. Um, He's a very, very um, sensitive and insecure person. Johnson? Yeah. Yeah, he actually <laughs> was. Yeah, that's the weird thing about him. He actually was very yeah. sensitive. We didn't really get into that aspect of his personality. I mean, again, Donald Trump, right? Like, and, and, and again, not, not talking politics, just talking personality. Yeah. Just, yeah. just talking oh. about who he is as a person on the inside. When, when you get into... Uh, I, I, I see uh, Lyndon Johnson as a very sympathetic character for me, only because, I mean, I think he got what was coming to him. In the end, yeah, he didn't have a very happy. No. Really, I mean, he wasn't. I mean, was he a happy person ever? Oh no, no, I don't. I don't believe so. I don't. Believe was he so. happy as president? Was he happy after being president? I don't think so. You're probably right. I mean, especially when he knew that Bobby Kennedy was running. I mean, he knew he had no chance. You know, I mean, how, like, how many, how many, like, how many important figures in history can you, like, say in the end, like, they were happy about where they ended up, right? Like, that's not what they're famous for, any of them. You know, they're, they're famous, they accomplish great things because they have, like, enormous ambitions, some kind of hunger to achieve, or either that or their place in, in, like, ridiculous circumstances, like, and, mm -hmm. and ridiculous circumstances tend to make people unhappy because they're very stressful right yeah. so so it's like who like if i like try and like obviously there are spiritual leaders you know you can think of who are happy but that's, that's it's kind of an exception of the norm right they're buddha seemed happy they're famous for right right buddha seemed, but he's famous for being happy like <laughs> you know like he's not he's not a famous historical figure who was also happy like he's he is the happy historical figure, you know, or, or people, you know, the Dalai Lama or whatever. But if you think about like Abraham Lincoln or William Tecumseh Sherman, you know, if you think about FDR or, or Winston Churchill, you think about, eh, I mean, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, maybe, but, but like, uh, you know, um, go back to like, uh, 
Jefferson, you know, Thomas Jefferson or, or um, you know, he was, he was famously conflicted about, you know, his role in, in slavery and all that and the writing of the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. All of these, and you can go way back further than that, of course, to different kings of England, Henry VIII. And- but boy, oh boy, I got to say, though, I mean, you know, I think in, in, in Johnson's case, not to make his any better than anybody else's or any deeper or any more significant, but I mean, you know, if he was involved with the Kennedy assassination and if all the anger that he obviously carried and, and all of the pompous attitude and the cockiness and all the things he did to get where he was and all the people he may have hurt when he uh you know in his uh, the notes in his psych i wish i could get his psychiatry notes because they, they they still haven't allowed those out but he had a, a psychiatrist right up to the day he died after he got out of uh you know the presidency and he was not a happy guy i mean you know and and, and rightfully so but for in his situation, uh, you know, I'm a proponent, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, of the whole what if, right? What if Johnson was involved? Boy, oh boy. You know, I mean, I mean um, the people that have been died or murdered or however that could have said something about it or had no choice. But if he was involved and he had, he, he just didn't ever say anything <laughs> about what he knew, he had to take that with him. That must have sucked. Because that's kind of yeah. like the biggest things ever yeah. to happen in the United States in, in you know, 100 years. Yeah. You know, like, what? Imagine that. I mean, the burden he's got to carry. I wouldn't want it. Well, and, and you got to think, too, like, like I, I'm going to go down your, your what if tra- rabbit hole here. Like, if so let's say he was involved. You know, he did it for the power, right? He did it for the presidency. So he yeah. made he made this horrible, horrible decision to you know let, let's call it what it is assassinate john john f kennedy you know like our beloved person and and it just divide it like it sent this schism through the whole country and he did it entirely if johnson was involved the only reason it would have been was so he could be president not for the greater good not for any of that bullshit right this is this is lbj we're talking about he did it because he wanted to be president and so that got him the presidency and think about how fucking miserable that must have been being president during the years that he was president. Like he left that office under your what if scenario, knowing that he did one of the most heinous things imaginable in the history of the United States. And yep. he got a pile of shit as his reward. And he right? did. Yep. So like, how could you be like, if, if you wanted to write a recipe and a cookbook for unhappiness and misery, <laughs> that is what you, those would be the ingredients. Bingo. And, and, you know, uh, Jack Ruby said the same thing when he was interviewed before he was brought to prison. You know, he said, uh, he said, you know, they, they, the reporters asked him, you know, hey, Jack, uh, what do you got to say? And he goes, he goes, I can't really say anything. But he goes, uh, if Adelaide Stevenson was a vice president, Kennedy would be alive right now. <laughs> wow. So uh, let's talk about because let's I want to get to the finish line here. Um, so let's talk about Johnson and the mob, his relationship with the mob. So uh, most people now believe that Johnson had a, um, a fairly close relationship with the mob. Um, according to um, an author in the Atlantic Monthly, um, this is a quote, they said, quote, for years, men came into Lyndon Johnson's office and handed him envelopes stuffed with cash 
They didn't stop coming even when the office in which she sat was the office of the Vice President of the United States. $50,000 in $100 bills and sealed envelopes was what one lobbyist for one oil company testified he brought to Johnson's office during his term as Vice President. And Johnson certainly did a lot for the oil industry, as we covered in an earlier episode. He was kind of their, their guy for many years. This is part of the Texas connection. I mean, Johnson really was placed in power by the oil barons. You know, and this is more for Corey's benefit, because I think we, we touched on this um, before, but Johnson was a, he was a Democrat in politics right from the get-go, but it was, it, it was powerful Republican oil businessmen who set him up initially yeah. and got him into power. They were, they were the people who put him where he was. And by all intents and intensive purposes, intent, what's the expression? By all intents and intents purposes. And purposes, yeah. He, he really functioned as a, he was more of a Republican than a Democrat in terms of the policies that he pushed in the Senate. He moved far to the left his, th his few years of pres as president, um, but he really... Um, you know, he really functioned more as a, as a conservative and did the bidding of, of big business and big oil when he was in the Senate. Um, well, just like the Bushes, just like Dick Cheney, right? But, but isn't, it, isn't it fair to say, though, that like his progressive policies like related to civil rights and stuff are kind of what helped define the Democratic Party as, as what we think of as the Democratic Party today? Like, so when you say he was... He was more of a Republican than a Democrat or when he was in the Senate, when yeah. he was in the Senate. But I'm just saying, I don't, I'm not sure that people thought of Democrat and Republican in, in the same way that we do now today. Right. I mean, no, no, that's I, very, I might be wrong, but no, you're hundred percent true. Like the, um, there were new England Republicans in the fifties and early sixties who were far more, um, who were far more progressive than Democrats in the South at yeah. that time. And so it was very kind of confused for a while. And then really it was the civil rights bill which changed everything that, that was passed in 1964. And that really- By Johnson. By Johnson, yeah. And, um, and that caused all of, the, all of the, dem the conservative Democrats in the South became Republicans. Matter of fact, John Connolly, the, he, he became a Republican. He, he campaigned for Nixon and he um, served in the Nixon administration and then actually changed his party affiliation to Republican. And then all of those more progressive um, Republicans up north, you know, they kind of switched and became Democrats. So it, it kind of clarified things for everybody. Um, racism did <laughs> at the time, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but but that was but and not to get too far ahead, but in my opinion, like I don't buy Johnson as a civil rights um, champion. Uh, champion. I think he was somebody who read tea leaves and <laughs> and sure. did and and kind of followed where the wind was blowing. I think for him, it was a he was president. He, he, he saw that it was a necessary, like, 
you know, if he hadn't done that, because Kennedy said that he wanted to put through a civil rights bill, that was a Kennedy goal. And yeah. if, if he hadn't done that, it would have been disastrous in terms of getting votes from, he, he would have had no chance getting the nomination in 68. I um, and so I think he knew that he was going to lose when he did it, when he passed the Civil Rights Act, he, he said, he commented that, okay, well, we've lost the South for the next several generations. He knew what was going to happen, but he still knew that it was his only chance to get the nomination to potentially win again. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like if, look, I mean, it's interesting though, because yes, like, in, in a personal sense, he wasn't maybe a champion of civil rights. Like, in a sense of, of being an agent of history, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you think about a, history acting through people, yeah. it's, it's, it's not guaranteed that the Civil Rights Act would have passed had he not passed it when, it, when he did. Right, That's like, true. like it was, it was a confluence of events following JFK's assassination, Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. That like, was later. There, that was it later. was after the Civil Rights Act. You're right. It was 1967, right? Something like 68, that. 68, but yeah. 68. Still, I remember like there, there were a number of events that coalesced right, right around the time that, that, that pressured him into signing it. And it but it was, it was one of those like lightning in a bottle moments where he could have passed it over. He felt the political pressure to do it, and so he signed it. But had he passed it over, it, I think it's not guaranteed. We could be in a totally, totally different landscape today in terms Which, of civil rights had had he not had he not like accepted that role Kennedy had such a a, a hold on, on on america especially with this whole civil rights thing he also had a, a hold on america when when people wanted to have they didn't want to have our our troops in 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 vietnam and when he made that declaration that he wanted to have all these troops out see the thing is he said he would have all the troops out by whatever date it was. And um, he also said he wanted to pass this civil rights thing. When, you know, Johnson was in, Johnson said, okay, I'll take the civil rights thing because if I don't, I'm going to be crucified. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. but you're, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's a great point, Corey. Even if he, even if he didn't care personally, he had yeah. the skill set required and was in the right place at the right time to do it. So yeah. you're right. And my things might be very different. And it was, I mean, there were a lot of people who opposed it. I mean, we're going to get to this in a few episodes where it'll probably be about 12 or 13 episodes, but <laughs> George H.W. Bush opposed the Civil Rights Act. He campaigned against it. Yeah. And so it was a very controversial thing when, yeah. when it occurred. Um, well, the, I mean, the Emancipation Co Proclamation was controversial, even in the Union, yeah. when Lincoln signed it. Like, Lincoln, Lincoln struggled with the idea of, of liberating the slaves. And he's, he's like, universally, I mean, you, you couldn't say Lincoln was not a champion of civil rights, right? Nobody can say that. <laughs> but but it, was, it was a decision he struggled to reach. Like, he didn't just, it's not like he entered the presidency thinking, I'm going to free the slaves. No. It was something that he, he kind of, like, it was a position that he fought his way politically to arrive at. And then again, like, like Johnson, the moment found him. Right. And, and it was like, it was, and he didn't do it for entirely altruistic reasons. He did it for political and 
at that point, military reasons also, right? Like, so it's just, it's interesting how people might not set out to be champions of a cause and yet history like finds them at the right point in time and says like, you will be this champion. Like you, it doesn't matter if you want him. Like this is what you're doing. Well, like all the <laughs> in the world who, who say, if I become president, I'm going to <laughs> yeah. vote for me, vote for me. And, you know, and then when they get in, the next thing you know, it's like, well, yeah, I tried my best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lincoln, <laughs> Lincoln said, Lincoln, um, yes, sir. Lincoln said that if he could have held the union together, and like he would have kept, like, I think he actually said that if it was possible to hold the union together without freeing the slaves, he would have done it. Yeah. I don't know when he said that, but it was definitely after 1860. Mm -hmm. And he also liked the idea of at one point, he thought the best idea was just to deport all of the black people. He said, let's just send them all back to Africa. Like he thought, and this was, Yikes. I think maybe like around in the mid 60 or the, the, you know, 61, 62, 1861, 1862. He was like, maybe that's what we should do. We should just send them all back to Africa. That might be the best solution. So yeah, he's, he's complicated. Yeah. And the, uh, the saying, you know, you know, one third of the population should, you know, go away. <laughs> I know it's kind of insane. I mean, now it just sounds so, I mean, it is bonkers, but it's just it like, did not age well. Yeah. So did you guys know that um, according to published reports, Johnson? Uh, <laughs> Wait, Johnson who? Johnson. John Lyndon Johnson <laughs> um, received large-scale payoffs from Teamster President Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, we're getting hot. A, a, former, a former senatorial aide, Jack Sullivan, testified that he witnessed the transfer of a suitcase full of money from a Teamster lobbyist um, to Johnson's chief aide, Cliff Carter. Oh, that little bastard. So if we wonder how, jo how Johnson ended up becoming, he started out as a, a school teacher and he ended up as a multi-multi-millionaire back in the 60s when that really meant something. Kind of wonder um, how that is. Now, another interesting thing is we've talked a little bit about how um, the Kennedys um, started up the war against um, the mob. So we mentioned earlier today that um, J. Edgar Hoover had, um, wouldn't acknowledge that the mob existed. He had only one or two people working on organized crime. The Kennedys came in <laughs> with the help of the mob getting them elected. Might not have been the best strategy on their part for trying to stay alive. But after the mob helped them get elected, they then engaged in a war on, on organized crime. They had, instead of two or three people in the FBI um, and in the, the, um, uh, yeah, in the FBI, they, the, uh, Bobby Kennedy had dozens of people working yeah. on organized crime. All of that, not dozens, but like dozens of people who are like, or, who are organizing the people who are working on organized crime. They had tons of, you know, um, field people um, working on it. That all came to a stop once um, Johnson became um, president. Um, they say that his anti-crime record was dis dismal. Racket busting came to a virtual halt. Um, and uh, 
the the number of well maybe virtual halt is overstating it but the um, amount of cases which were brought before grand juries dropped by 83%. So that's a, it's not to a, a, a halt, but he definitely said, Kennedy's, you guys were kind of pushing a little too hard against organized crime. I want to bring it back to maybe less than a fifth of that effort. So that, that drop occurred when he was president? Yeah. After the, sorry, go ahead, Bill. And, and let's talk about coincidences, okay? The president in Cuba at the time kicked the mafia out. <laughs> the mafia was ha started getting a lot of the uh, casinos started in Cuba. And the president of Cuba said, no, we're not going to play this game and force the mob out of Cuba. So the mob moved out of Cuba and moved into the United States. <laughs> and not soon after that, Bobby Kennedy started going, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so these guys get kicked out of Cuba, then they come back in the United States, they think they got it all well and good. They got the president in their pocket, they think, and then the president's brother decides, oh, no, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna start jacking you with the Johnson treatment. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pretend or assume that there was a cover-up. Okay, and let's say that, um, but let's say that Johnson was not responsible for the murder of Kennedy in any way, shape, or form, but he knew about the cover-up. Why was that? Some people claim that the declassification of tapes of his phone calls and other documents might provide an explanation for why the Warren Commission engaged in the cover-up and why Johnson allowed them to do so. And that explanation would be that they did that to prevent World War III. Johnson continually refers to um, what he terms foreign complications when he, in his phone calls when he's talking about the JFK assassination. Oh. And by these, he means allegations of a communist conspiracy, um, things related to relating to Oswald's trip down to Mexico City, where he um, supposedly um, met with communists in, in various um, um, places. I guess the, the whole idea is, is that Johnson believed, according to this claim, that there was a communist conspiracy to kill JFK, that the conspiracy ended up being carried out and that the Warren Commission covered it up. And why would they cover up a communist um, conspiracy? Well, the idea is, is that if this conspiracy came out, that there would be pressure to engage in nuclear war. Yep. And that, quote, 40 million American lives are at stake. I don't know why 40 million, maybe it could be 80 million, it could be 200 million. But the, the thought process is, well, okay, so the communists had a conspiracy. They killed JFK. We need to cover that up because if the American public finds out, there's going to be a nuclear war and everybody's going to die. So let's just cover it up. Okay, that's so, why there's a conspiracy. Well, then that's a good, that's a good thing. But 50 years down the freaking line, that's not such a good excuse. It's not such a good excuse anymore. Mm -hmm. 
You know, if you're thinking that the that the the uh, the assassination attempt on Fidel Castro that was orchestrated by the CIA and the mob, right, was turned around, which is a, a popular conspiracy theory, was turned around to, and used against Kennedy, right? Why wouldn't that be a problem if the American people knew that the United States tried to assassinate the the Cuban president and Cuba found out about that? Mm-hmm. Of course, there'd be issues. So think about it. What if that was the case? Of course, everybody in America, no matter who you are, what side of the, the fence you're on, is going to go, yeah, maybe we should just kind of cover this up and keep things quiet. Great for then in the next 10 or 20 years. But not 50, not 55. I mean, let it go. You know, I mean, let it go. If that was the case then, I get it. But that's not the case now. Lots of things have happened since then. So, I mean, I guess that's the other side of the coin, right? Well, for one reason or another, and we'll have to talk about the reasons, but it is clear, as we'll get into, we're not covering it all here, but we'll get into this, from November 23rd onward, from the day after the assassination onward, it's very clear that Johnson did everything he could to... um, to convince the American people or to make sure that the American people were convinced that Oswald was a lone gunman. He intervened in the um, investigation of Oswald. He intervened. He made phone calls to the FBI about what he wanted out of their investigation of Oswald. He had comments that he made to the Warren Commission about the importance of um, having Oswald named as a lone gunman. And so, and I know I'm kind of throwing out a bunch of stuff that we haven't gone into in detail, but in my mind, there's really only two reasons why he would have done that. One is, if it's true, he was worried about what might happen worldwide in terms of a nuclear war. If, if, what, was, if what was true, sorry. Oh, um, he was worried if Oswald was, didn't act alone, Okay. He was worried that um, that if that was found out, what that might mean for um, nuclear war or the, the safety of the world. So either that's the reason why he pushed for it, or he pushed for it because he was involved in a conspiracy. He certainly pushed for it beyond the bounds of what his personal knowledge could have been. Because he was pushing for that before he that he could have had any sense that Oswald that, was the only actor. Is that is this episode the conclusion of the chapter on LBJ for the podcast? No, LBJ shows up. We have a ton. Well, I mean, he shows up, but this is the last time. Is this the only time you talk about him in real depth? This, it doesn't matter. My, my, this would, is the just, introduction. This episode is considered the introduction to Lyndon Johnson. Oh, okay. And then, he sh- and then we talk about him in depth as he relates to specific aspects of the assassination. I would, just, I would, pro- I would propose a third theory mm-hmm. to those three, three possibilities, which is very, I think, in keeping with LBJ's character, as I understand it, which is limited. He might have just wanted to shut the whole fucking thing up so he could get on with being the most powerful man in the world. We'll be right back. 